Before I begin my message this morning, uh, I did want to make a few notes of, of prayer. Um, we as a family personally have enjoyed having Derek and Emma home. They're going to be traveling back to Tennessee this week, and many of your family will be traveling back to school or work this week as well, and so we need to be in prayer for those that will be traveling. Uh, also, uh, we're going to be starting our home Bible fellowships back up this week, so if you attend those on Wednesday or Thursday nights or you want more information, make sure you ask me or one of the elders about that. We'd love to have you, but we will start those back up this week. And then I was given a prayer request uh, for Sherry Lewis, which is Kimberly Lewis's mother-in-law. She's going to have surgery on the 10th for a large mass in her uterine wall. And so I want to ask that you grab a pen and add her to your prayer list this morning. Again, that is Sherry Lewis, and that's Kimberly Lewis's mother-in-law. So we need to be in prayer for her as well. So before we go to the Word, uh, let's go to the Father one more time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for being the one that hears our prayers. But Father, you're the one alone who has the power to do what uh, no doctor really, and no physician can ever do on this earth, holy, and that is to heal someone from the inside out and the outside in. And I pray that you would be at work this week in Kimberly's mother-in-law's surgery. Lord, I ask you to be with her. I ask you to be with those that are leading, those that are hosting Bible studies this week, that you would give them wisdom and the encouragement of those who come to learn and grow together and pray for one another. And then, Father, I thank you for our visitors at the Warax home this week, but then, Father, for each of us that have had family, Lord, that are going to be on the road this week. I pray for good conversations in the car. I pray for safety, and I pray for the family times that we have in the future to be times of, of blessing and relaxation and restoration. And I pray all of this, of course, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your scripture with you this morning, you've probably seen by the outline, uh, I'm going to be in 2 Timothy, and I'd like for you to turn there, if you would. Uh, but as I was preparing this message, I ran across a story about a Little League coach who was reminiscing about his childhood years playing Little League baseball. And he remembers back to that first year when the coach called the whole team together for a picnic. And then he asked the team, how many of you eventually want to play Major League Baseball? And he said, I remember when I was a kid, every single hand went up. Every child dreamed about playing in the major league at one of the the major parks and hitting the home run. And that young man grew up, and he became a a little league coach himself. And the week uh, of the opening games, and as a coach, he thought he would do the same thing. And so he had a picnic for his players, and he, he asked them the very same question, who here wants to grow up and play in the major leagues? And he said, not one hand went up on a team of 12 kids. He said, I could see in their eyes that that not one kid on this team believed that he had a chance, that he had what it took to become a major league baseball player. And what shocked me the most was it only took one generation for kids to lose their spark and become jaded. A man who was a Buddhist once said, you Christians, you teach your children to pray all wrong. You teach your children how to pray if I should die before I wake. He said, you should teach them if I should wake before I die. 
because he noticed that for the most part, Christians didn't live as those who enjoyed life, who lived the life that God had given them to the full. What a contrast between people of passion and vision and those who lack it. You know, vision has been called hope with a blueprint. It's what you see in a mother's eyes as she holds a newborn in her arms and dreams about all that that child could grow up to become. Vision has a way of ignoring the critics and chasing its dreams regardless of how many people say it can't be done. Consider all those famous predictions that underestimated the passion of people and the power of vision. Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, said back in 1943, I think there's maybe a market for maybe five computers in the world. Ken Olson, the founder and president of Digital Equipment Corporation, said in 1977, there is no reason why anybody would want a computer in their home. Western Union sent out a memo in 1876 saying that the telephone has far too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. And now people live on their smartphones. Or consider the words of the Decca Recording Company when they turned down signing the Beatles back in 1962. They said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on its way out. How wrong they were. Charles Duell, the commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents, said back in 1899, everything that can be invented has been invented. Wouldn't you love to show him Shark Tank today? I mean, vision has a way of ignoring people who say it can't be done and doing things anyway. But if we're honest, for every one of us, we go through times when our vision and our passion fades. The flame begins to dim, passions begin to ease, and heat begins to cool. That's what's happening in, in Timothy, to Timothy, the young protege of the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul had sent Timothy to try and salvage the mess of a church that was at Ephesus. And yet when Timothy got there, he found out very quickly he was in way over his head. The entire leadership of the Ephesian church was older than he was. And they began to question his leadership. Timothy himself lacked boldness, and so he had a tendency to avoid confrontation. And as it so often happens, the stress of life and the stress of his ministry assignment began to affect Timothy's health. And he found himself sick with, with constant stomach ailments. I mean, he's popping Tums, drinking Maalocs, and Paul gives him that, that troublesome advice for some. But that historical medical advice in 1 Timothy 5.23 when he says to him, Timothy, stop drinking only water. And use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And did I mention in the meantime that his beloved mentor Paul has been arrested by the Roman government? Out of all the cards in his hand that he's playing, nothing seems to be going right. And Timothy's vision has begun to dissipate. The excitement, the enthusiasm that he once felt when he joined Paul's ministry team some years earlier was gone. And somewhere between his own stress, between the ulcers, his frequent illnesses, his discouragement trying to lead the church in Ephesus, and his fear for Paul's life, Timothy's vision had begun to slip away. Can anybody here testify 
to the stress of work and its impact? Anybody here testify to, to personal illness and you could honestly say you're sick and tired of being sick and tired? Timothy needed to have his vision renewed and that's a big reason why Paul wrote this second letter to him in 2 Timothy. Belief that Timothy was afflicted with a constitutional timidity and Paul would remind him, don't quit. Don't give up. He would say to him in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anybody look down on you because of, of your youth. You set the example for the believers in speech and conduct, in love and faith and in purity. And to the Corinthians he would write, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he's carrying on the work for the Lord just as I am. Timothy was a splendid young preacher. He had a good ancestry with his mother and grandmother. He was in dead earnest. But he needed to be set on fire. God had given Timothy all the equipment that he needed to be effective as God's man for the hour. But the fire of God's gift in Timothy's life, it was in danger of going out. It had become like a fire in a fireplace when, when no new wood has been added for a while. The flame's not showing up anymore, and instead, there's just a glowing ember that's gradually beginning to lose heat. And I don't know about you, but I could think of several young believers and a few old ones as well that remind me of Timothy. They had promise uh, uh, and genuine in their Christianity and their faith, but somehow, you just want to build a fire under them. And if their faith and the facts that they have come to life, they could and they would be people that move mountains for Christ. And so Paul advises Timothy and he advises us to kindle within him the sacred flame, to kindle the flame. He says, if you have your scripture open in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. You know, today's homes have all kinds of ways to heat for the winter. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, geothermal heat is the best way to go. You know, but we've got, when, when they work, right, we've got central heat furnaces and uh, boilers and heat pumps, direct heat like gas-fired space heaters, oil burners, electric, you know, pellet stoves, radiant floor heat. Uh, but some of you here, I bet you remember when you were kids, heating up that old uh, fireplace or that old stove just to get heat within the house. You'd wake up in the morning, the house would be cold, and you'd have to go, and you'd kind of sift through the, the, the embers for that one live coal to, to kind of add some kindling to to get it fired up again until the flames appeared. Or you remember as a young person going out in the cold to, to cut and stack cords of wood, or, or maybe you had to go get a piece of coal from that dusty old coal chute that filled your basement. And that's the picture here. You see, there comes a time in our experiences when, when our fires for God can run dangerously low. And we have to stir up, just like Timothy, this heavenly flame within our hearts. In 27 years of his existence, in every chapter of this congregation's life, God has called us to, to step out of our comfort zone to new steps of faith, 
to new steps of trust in him so that the fire continues to burn. When the builders framed this church, they, on the floor of the sanctuary and on the timbers of the frames around this building, uh, some of you were here, you wrote scriptures that reminded you of why we're here. And very close to this sacred desk, to this pulpit, is written Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Some of my favorite verses. It says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I believe that heart with all, uh, verse with all my heart and that type of thinking, that's been part of this congregation's vision from the very beginning. And we've got to remember that the fire that we're rebuilding, it's God's fire that we're, we're dealing with. There's plenty of Nadabs and Abihus, those old unfaithful priests in the Old Testament who offer strange fire aplenty today. And there are those who kindle a fire and they surround themselves with more spiritual moments than Oprah and twist God's word to support their lifestyles without change. And God says to them in Isaiah 50, verse 11, but now all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, go. Walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you'll receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. And yet, Paul says, there's a real fire. There's a real heat that I want you to have, Timothy. And, and you've got to fan it into flame. So what is this gift of God in the mind of Paul? It was not Timothy's ability. It was not his own enthusiasm or his own motivation. It's stated in another verse, in 1 Timothy 4.14, when he says, don't neglect your gift, which was given you to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. It was the gift of the Spirit for his particular service, for his ministry of preaching and teaching and mercy. And, and the application represents the fire of the Holy Spirit that exists in everyone who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's the fire represented within each of our hearts. And Timothy was exhorted, don't you let anybody look down on you just because you're young. Now, as a rule, we don't tend to expect much from younger people. Most of the times you'll say they'll be fine once they've got a little more education under their belt, right? Or they'll be, t they'll be fine once they get some more life experience behind them. And we forget the only, the main qualification to be used by God is to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once received, they have everything they need to burn for Christ. That's why a young David could go out and slay a giant. That's why a young Eli could go and speak the word of God the way he did. And that's why Timothy, in Paul's eyes, needed to fan that gift into a flame because God, in his young life, regardless of his age, if he had the spirit of God, he had within him the fiery potential to move mountains. There is no woman who can serve or show mercy or administrate no matter what their age or training without the Holy Spirit. 
There's no man within this church. If you just add more experience, are they going to become more Holy Spirit filled? Because we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And experience will only show you how much more of the world he's got to get out of him or how much more he's taken on. And in these last days, and we are living in the last days, the world and even the church has time enough to temper the zeal and smother the flames until the body of Christ is full of people who are just merely present. Jesus said in the last days in Matthew 24, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So where are you? Is the fire burning? Will you choose every day you wake up as a gift from God to keep the fire burning Christians? Paul recognized the value of training in doing that because he would exhort Timothy saying, you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but as someone who correctly handles the word of truth. He knew the value of experience, too, because he knew faith without works is dead. But above all that, he would say, Timothy, stir up the fire. Don't fall into a rut. And don't listen so much to the naysayers or be so frustrated by this world that you let them force you into the mold of being ordinary. Be who God made you to be. Step up, stand out, and stand above with Christ. And what Christians need today across the world are stirring up the embers of the holy fire until others say about us the same thing that Jesus' disciples said about him. His disciples remembered what is written, zeal for your house, it will consume me. Our Lord did not say he would spit us out of his mouth because we were too hot. And he didn't say it because we were too cold. But if we play the lukewarm game and, and faith is just part of our life or church is just part of our activities. Friends, he said when you're lukewarm and you don't make the choice, be on fire or be cold. He said, that's what nauseates the heart and the stomach of God. Every believer has a few coals within their heart. And sometimes I find it, it really is more a bed of coals instead of a flame. But when the gospel is seriously received, when the gospel is preached and the breath of the Spirit blows on the coals, you can tell where the fire is. You could see it on the faces of God's people as they, they light up and the glow of glory returns. But the fire dies without that. And we have not only to kindle the sacred flame within us, but we also have to avoid putting out the Holy Spirit's fire in us. Many have forsaken their first true love. And there's all sorts of wet blankets that smother the flames. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is a command to every one of us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In fact, many of us are hard put to keep ourselves warm when we ought to be putting others on fire. And if for any reason the fire has become cold, you stir up the gift of God at any cost. Friends, there is no price too great to pay to be a burning and shining light for Christ. And there are many things that can smother the fire. The first thing on the list that I've given you, of course, is willful sin. Willful sin will do it. 
Our Lord said that the candle of our witness and testimony can be smothered by two things, the bushel or the bed. You know, we sing that song when we were little kids, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it. Right now you're thinking, please don't let him sing all five verses. I'm not going to. Second verse, though. Put it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. The bushel stands for our careers. Sometimes the priority of our finances or retirement or our families the temporary concerns of this life. The bed, of course, stands for luxury, for ease, for worldly pleasure, the sloth that so enervates the soul. And and most flames of, of believers today, they're either under the bushel or in the bed. We need to ask of every activity within our life, what effect does this have on my fire? What effect does my daily schedule have on my zeal? Does it grieve the Holy Spirit or is it fuel for the fire? And also the second thing on your list, neglect will smother the fire. You leave fire alone and the ashes of stone start to gather. If we neglect the means of grace, if we neglect fellowship with one another, if we neglect prayer and the word, we soon will be in need of a stirring. I always love that, that little poem. There's two natures that beat within my breast. The one is foul, the other blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, but it's the one I feed that will dominate. And never was it easier to be more slothful and complacent than today. See, I believe Satan is against a man or a woman being on fire for God as never before. And so what he's done is he's dulled the atmosphere to a whatever kind of existence. And the spirit may be willing for many, but but the flesh is weak. You drop into an average church service on any given Sunday and you'll realize the truth of the old line. In vain we tune our formal songs, in vain we strive to rise. Hosannas languish on our tongues and within us devotion dies. You see, the flesh is weak. We sleep in the garden while our Lord says in a gentle voice, sleep on, take your rest. But he also says, rise and let us be going. We need at times to take ourselves by the scruff of our neck and shake ourselves out of our lethargy and our coma and our cocaineized and chloroformed society that we're a part of and the, the ungodly spirit of this age. The test of a believer's devotion may come some other day, but those who love God most are those who are at their post when the world has gone away. Then others, too, can quench the Spirit. Every Christian is a contradiction to this old world. We are at cross with this world at every point. Jesus' path goes against the grain from the beginning to the end. From the day that we're born, Until the day we go to be at home with the Lord, we have to stand against the current of the world that's always going to be going the other way. And if we allow it, the people we hang out with, the people we work with on a daily basis, they will tone us down, they will steal the joy of our salvation and reduce us to the dreary level of average. And if the devil cannot keep you from being saved, 
he endeavors next to make Christians of us all that are just average. And in that, I think he succeeds. He tames that holy recklessness of God's saints that sink into this drab pattern and, and we begin to live life as the frozen chosen. The devil doesn't mind us joining a church like that if we behave like most people in this world to go to church. But when a really wide awake believer breezes along taking the gospel seriously, the devil gets alarmed and he begins plotting his downfall. There will always be plenty of human wet blankets trying to smother the zealot's flame and they have put out more fires than all the infidels and skeptics of the world combined. Sometimes one encounters such discouragement in their own home and we find that our, our foes are the greatest in our own household. And, and there's no wonder why our Lord and Savior used the word hate to tell us how much higher our devotion should be to him than to the dearest of the earth. He didn't just say that, he, he lived that. It's why when he was a, a young boy, even at the temple at the age of 12, he could say to his mom and dad, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This is important. It's why he could say as he began his ministry at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, woman, why do you involve me? Now's not my time. Or when his relatives came to speak with him, Jesus would say in Matthew 12, 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my brother and my sister and my mother. He always made it clear his first obligation was to God and he suffered not even the dearest relationship of this earth over that devotion. And doubtless his relatives, his own family, would have been his wet blanket. They would have smothered his fire if he allowed it. Mark 3.21 even talks about his friends. It says when his friends heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. Well, finally and certainly, fear can choke the fire. Paul says to Timothy the words that you have at the bottom of your outline there. And I want you to say these out loud with me before we finish this morning. 2 Timothy 1.7, let's say this together. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see, the man who hid his talent, he said, I was afraid. The fires that fear smothered, fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of, of the future, fear of what others might say or not say, fear of failure, fear of sickness, of death, whatever fears you might have, it's not from God because God has given us a perfect love. 1 John 4, 18 promises, there's no fear in love because perfect love, it drives out fear. So friends, stir up the love of God within you. We haven't received a spirit of bondage to be afraid again in this life. We've got a spirit of adoption and we ought to stir that up. We ought to stir up the spirit of power within us because we had that promise. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And let's remember as we go about this that stirring up the gift of God is our business. It's God's gift to design it. It's God's gift to give it. It's our responsibility to receive it 
and to personally choose to rouse ourselves from lethargy and get down to business, to pray and feed on the Word of God in 2019 like we never have before. Oh, for passionate passion for souls. Oh, for a pity that yearns. Oh, for a love that's even to death. Oh, for a fire that burns. Friends, what has smothered your passion today? What has smothered your fire today? Renounce it in the name of Christ. Yield afresh to God and stir up his gift within you. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray for us. And then we'll have our song of decision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as cold as it is outside, sometimes the cold in our own heart and sometimes in our fellowship is just unbearable. But I thank you for the holy discomfort that reminds us that's not how you created us to be, to function, to live, or enjoy this life. You created us to blaze for you, to be filled with holy fire because you yourself are an all-consuming fire. You're a God of passion. The pathos, the ethos of your heart, it moved you to give the greatest gift so that we could have salvation, forgiveness of our sins, an eternal life in you that begins here and now. So Father, by, by your word, by, by our conversations with you, by our fellowship with each other, by the service that we give in your name. Stir us up. Stir the coals. Bring the flame. And Father, we will glorify your name because our light will shine to give you honor and glory. If there's anybody here today, Lord, that has never been sparked for the first time, Lord, you're the only one that can bring that by your Holy Spirit. So let them come and accept you in this moment. If there's anybody here in this room today that, that's just cold and their faith has grown cold, Lord, remind them you're the one that can restore not only the joy of their salvation, you can give them a spark. And I ask that you would be that spark within them now in Jesus' name, amen.